0: This episode is specifically for the homeopaths out there. A few weeks ago, I listened to a recorded webinar where Marco Bietza was interviewing Frederick Schuyns about how he came about creating the Synthesis Repertory and the Radar Opus homeopathic software. So the reason I found this so interesting is that I purchased my Radar software more than a decade ago, and I literally could not do my job without it. I've done several upgrades to it over the years by adding many more repertories to it and materia medica's and other reference materials. So that now it's like my best friend that's with me every single day and in everything I do. I enjoyed this webinar so much and I found the history which Frederick shared so interesting that I reached out to Luke Norland to ask if he would mind if I use the audio from this webinar and share it on my show for the homeopaths to enjoy. So this episode is a little bit different. I hope you will enjoy it. Do give me your feedback on this at info at eugeniekruger.com if you'd like some more of these styles of uh, podcasts. And if you're a homeopath interested in purchasing the radar opus software visit www.radaropus.com for more information Just so you know, I have no association with Radar Opus at all, other than I have been a very happy user for well over a decade, and I just thought some of you might enjoy this information as well. So if you're a home user, this might be an episode that you'll want to skip. Otherwise, do have a listen anyway, but definitely the homeopaths out there, especially if you use Radar Opus, I'm sure you're going to find this history of how the software was developed very interesting, just like I did. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world.
2: Okay, so welcome everyone. Frederick, I don't think needs any introduction whatsoever. So again, thank you, Frederick, for coming in. So I would like to start by reminding everyone that what we wanted to do today was to unravel a little bit of the history of Frederick, of this company, and of Synthesis as a repertory, because most often when we do webinars, they are normally technical and they are specific, but we very seldom, if not ever, have spoken about what happens behind the closed doors, and so I am going to take pleasure today in grilling Frederick and asking him all sorts of questions, which may come of interest to you as well, because every company, every group of people, every family has a history. And so it's worth remembering how we got to where we are today. Frederick, thank you for accepting this. I'm gonna start asking you the first question, which is what made you choose homeopathy when you started?
3: And how has the journey been for you? Yeah, at the time I went to university to study medicine, I was 17 years old. And this was 1970, 70, 0 and it was, yeah, the end of the 60s. And this means that that time, there were lectures about everything. There was microbiotics, philosophy, the East was coming to the West, meditation, anything, you name it, astrology, astronomy, and there was also some lectures about alternative medicine. And I was just maybe even more than attending the lecture On medicine, I was attending all these evening lectures on all these topics and was interested in all of that. And then when my studies evolved, I had a plan. I had a master plan. I had a book and a list and two big fights, like uh, 20 centimeters with all types of alternative medicine that were existing and my plan was to study all of them and i had informational course on this uh, aromatherapy and uh, you name it uh, gemotherapy and gemstone therapy and i had all this listed etc and uh, yeah i must see, i just see all of andreas on pop up there and I must say, I see so many people in the list that I know, and it would be like an endless interruption to greet all of them. But please welcome. I see your names, and I'm very happy to meet all of you because many of you we didn't meet in Belgium. In fact, we met, I met you in Norway, in Holland, in Mexico, in the United States, and I see all these names. So. Hello to all my friends and thank you for lodging me at the time. And so I had this map with all these types of medicine, with the courses, etc. And my master plan was I would study all of them to be like a complete therapist. And then when I, it came to the real courses, I saw there were two big courses. There was a course on acupuncture and a course on homeopathy. They were long courses. The other ones were like weekends or a week or whatever. It was just short. And then I had to decide, shall I go for acupuncture or homeopathy? And the course of the faculty in London seemed to be very well organized, was full-time. So I said, I do a lot in one year. I had a lovely wife who had been working a little bit and a lovely family who gave me some money. And so this is why I went to London to study homeopathy down there full-time, one year. And uh, yeah, the thing that changed is that uh, I got so much absorbed and intrigued and fascinated by the study of homeopathy that that I did not pick up studying acupuncture, chiropraxia, chemotherapy and all these other things. So I was, in fact, I got stuck in homeopathy because of the experience in London with Dr. Blackie and all the other people. And thank God you did, I may add. (laughs) Otherwise we wouldn't have synthesis. Yeah, I would have been an eclectic therapist, as Kent wrote. Yeah, I would have be, been an eclectic, but... Maybe an acupuncturist, who knows. Okay, can I
2: ask you, uh, th- this is uh, personal, can you remember the first repertory that
3: you studied on? I obviously can guess very, the answer, but... It's very easy, it was Kent. Okay. It was Kent. In oh, fact, cool. I used three Kent repertories. Eh? One was stolen from me, I must say. Hmm. And I returned from my wedding trip, eh, which means I took Kent's repertory on my wedding trip, interesting, eh? but it was stolen mm-hmm. when we came back. But I used uh, three Kent repertories and then Bartel and Künzli, etc., and other repertories. Yeah. Okay. And so obviously, the obvious question: How did synthesis
2: start? So you were obviously a student. You'd started homeopathy. How did it come?
3: Into life, Yeah, we were very enthusiastic, young homeopaths, and I see Guy Kocklenberg is there, one of my Belgian friends who was at the same time, eh, hello Guy, was there at the same time, and we studied homeopathy here or there, we came together in these groups, and we were just studying, and there was no plan to do something of the kind that I am doing or have been doing later on, there was no such plan. But some events happened and, and one of the triggers was in fact like a fairy tale once upon a time thing, which maybe some of you know. And once upon a time, there was a professor who had a child with a recurrent tonsillitis, a university professor in Namur. And he went to see a homeopath. Alex Jacques was the last name. G-A-C-Q-U-E-S. And that homeopath... Was one of the was a president of one of the five schools of homeopathy in Belgium at the time, gave a remedy to the child. Not only the tonsillitis was gone, but it didn't return. And the professor was intrigued, and he saw the guy working, as maybe some of you have been doing, with this book, with his fingers in between two pages, and then turning the pages and going back to the first one. And he asked, "What are you doing? In fact, with this, your fingers and looking at and." Alex, his first name was Alex, explained Yeah, I'm just having remedies in this rubric. I'm crossing them with the remedies in the other rubric. And in this way, I'm finding the remedy for your child. And he said, oh, he was a professor of computer science and mathematics at the faculty of computer science in Amur. He said, but this can be done by a computer much more easily. And he says, I can appoint a PhD student to make a program just doing that which is we take the repertory and we allow, as we call it ourselves, to repertorize the symptoms. And so that has been the beginning of radar. And in a way of synthesis, this professor, child being cured, and the guy being curious about the whole thing. Eh? Jean Fischvet was his name. and It's incredible. Yeah. And then I got involved. So that's another story, but maybe too long to tell. I got involved and again fascinated. There's been a lot of fascination in my life, I must say. And I got fascinated by this computer program. I bought it at an incredible price. I had people complain about the price of radar opus. I can tell you, speak to my wife, she still has nightmares about (laughs) the price at which I bought the program at the time. And may I ask, who did you buy it from? Because I think the person may be in the call today. No, there was the very beginning, the university created a project and then saw there was interest in the homeopathic community. And the university wanted to stay on the scientific side. So they appointed a company to market and promote and distribute it. And the guy at the time was... Eric, eh? Eric Anbergen, who uh, started to sell it and also sold it to me. And go, Eric so. has been working with us for a number of years, but uh, he left us after, I think, 10 years or so, he left us. And so, did Synthesis start
2: after you had bought your first radar?
3: And was it I first year? Because the first radar was with scans Repertory. That's clear, right? go. Ah, okay. That's clear. And, uh, yeah, just to tell you the story of the Repertorization... You know how long the first repertorization took? (laughs) It took 40 minutes. So we took five rubrics and then we hit enter to get the results. And we had to wait 40 minutes. And in fact, in the beginning, I was against the computers. I was like the art of homeopath, the art, the art and the science, okay? The art and the science. There has to be a homeopath who speaks to people, listens to people, looks at people, And I didn't believe at all that computers could be doing something. You must know that at that time, it was like the banks were not all computerized. eh? It was like the beginning of computerizing everything, the supermarkets, the banks, the shops. Uh, It was the beginning of computerization. People were working with their hands with little calculators, machines with a little paper maybe to give to the client. But computers were not like main thing and mainstream. And many people were against computers, and so was I. And I was even more against computers because of homeopathy. This is going to spoil homeopathy. And then one day I got a call from this Eric Anbergen, and he says, we have reprogrammed radar in machine language. I still don't know exactly what it means. But the result is that we can now repertorize a case in two or three minutes. Can I come and show it to you? And he came and showed it to me. And I must say that night I didn't sleep and I was speaking to my wife until maybe 2 or 3 a.m. Poor wife. (laughs) If they can change the program in such a way that the 40 minutes become two, they will be able to change the two minutes into two seconds as well. And then we have a revolution. And this is why I didn't sleep. And this is why I bought the program because I changed. I said, okay. Computers is going to be the future is going to help homeopathy instead of block and hinder homeopathy. And then, oh Frederick, if I may add, you didn't yeah. sleep that
2: night. You embark on the journey and you haven't slept since.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's partially true, yeah. For different reasons, but... <laughs> yeah, for different reasons, yeah. But this, uh, this is how it started. And then, yeah, to reply to the question, that Professor Fischfeld one day said, when we, the prog was up to speed and, and everything was, uh, the, it was debugged, eh, because we had bugs at the time as well. He said, listen, this is a database. If you want to make changes, it's very easy. It just takes a minute or whatever. Ah, make changes. And we had many homeopaths at the time who believed Kent is final, as Kent himself has told to Frederica, eh, his daughter, the book is final. But there were also many parts who believed, no, it's not final, there's information out there that should be in the repertoire. So we had this divide eh, between the ones who wanted to work with the Virgin Kent and the ones who wanted to make additions. And then Bartel came, and was a big change, a dramatic change, which eh, is 17 or 19 sources, etc. And more and more people started to believe, no, we must not freeze Kent, we must not keep it as this, we must put more information into it. And so we started the project of synthesis at that time, I believe it was 87 or so. And we started to add data to cancer repertory and in fact, create synthesis. And I'm guessing you were a team of colleagues, friends, you were doing it by hand. Yeah, no. We were. Do- it was a database, so we could do it in the computer, but it was okay. very slow. It was very stepwise, eh? and it and, was. Oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. You, you were doing it in the university, or you were somewhere? Or- no, I, we all had our portable PCs, and I was traveling to different places. I still remember. I had the one time I had the PC I've recently seen in a PC museum, at which I took to go to Greece to work with George. And it was like more like a knitting machine. It was like, a, I don't know if you see, let's say three times the size of my head. And I and had a trailer on which I put it, and it was carrying it behind me. That was my laptop, my portable at the time. And then
1: they and became so
3: Incredible,
2: incredible. Okay, and so you obviously started with the, with the additions and the team was working with you. How did that progress into the first release of Synthesis
3: in the program and then also the first printable synthesis because there were parallel jobs, weren't there? Yeah, there was a struggle because we were working and increasing the content of Kent, and creating a first version of synthesis, releasing it, a second version of synthesis, releasing it, etc. And then at a certain time, we started getting the demands, can you print it? Because our students would like to have a printed version, we would like to have a printed version, etc. And said, so we cannot print this. Too many problems, too many mistakes, and, and too many things we need to change still and we need to add still, etc. And so, in fact, it has only been Synthesis 5, version 5, that was the first that was printed in the year 94 in German and 95 in English. I must say, the Germans, even if it was a translation, were faster than we in the original English to have the print. Eh? The Germans say Reinhard rose Incredibly efficient guy. He printed the first version of synthesis version five, and so there was in, in English. It was in the nineteen ninety five. Wow, and yeah, and, and Reinhard was with us for a, a very long time. So yeah, and that was uh, that was a big success because we. I don't know how many copies we printed the first time. Let's say uh, two thousand or three thousand. I don't know. within six months everything was gone we had to reprint immediately and then again we had to reprint and it was like filling up a void filling up a need so it was true people were saying you have to print it and in fact we had to do it and synthesis became the repertory of choice the printed repertory of choice of many schools in a very fast way how did that feel because obviously that had never been done before So you were printing, hoping it was going to work, and then it suddenly took off? Yeah, I must say, as uh, some of you will remember, all this happened during the happy days of homeopathy. The 80s and the 90s were the happy days of homeopathy, where homeopathy was blooming, the schools were blooming, there were many homeopaths all over, demand from the patient was incredibly high. Even with many homeopaths in, in my city, I must say, I had a waiting list that once went up to two years. Patients had to wait two years before they could come for a consultation to me. And so when we printed it, we expected it would be successful, and it was. You are in the way. If you do something now, and then the 2000, 2010, 2020, 20s, they have become like low days of homeopathy, after all the and scientific research that we know of has been a big change but this beginning of the story was in the happy days of homeopathy and so the printing was uh, yeah let's say almost an easy success
2: yeah totally and
3: in those days even
2: if it was a success do you have a memory of something difficult what was the hardest thing they had to overcome i guess in the first Digital physical print? Is that something that you?
3: Yeah, the first physical print was uh, very difficult because you must imagine in the old days, the people were used to typesetting with, uh, shall I say, in the old way of printing. And there was just manual work. And that is impossible. That was impossible to do even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because labor work was too expensive. So it had to go through a computer program. And it was very hard to have a computer program which understood how to split a rubric in a column, let alone to the next page, how to make column headers, the indentation of the rubrics, and then go to the next column and keep the indentation that this was level seven of the symptoms. So we had not to be sticking to the line, the dividing line, but a little further. So this has been a nightmare, but we found a, a very capable guy Emmanuel Warnier, a walloon guy, French guy. And he, he helped us to make this and even successive versions of synthesis in the layout. But that layout uh, in the beginning was a nightmare. To have the repertory format in a computer-wise program was really a nightmare. one. Mm, okay.
2: And uh, in terms of synthesis as a product, what is the thing you're most proud of? And has this thing changed over time? Because obviously synthesis has changed a lot throughout
3: the years. Yeah. In the, on our current website, even on the old website, it was like this, that for every version of synthesis, I wrote a foreword, which details all the things we achieved in that version of synthesis. So eh, in successive versions, you will see the successive things we did. And one of them, for example, in the last version of synthesis is include the treasure of Kent. Yeah, which is like uh, Agatha Christie's story yeah? with the help of Ahmed Kurim, yeah, my friend who unfortunately uh, passed away some years ago already. But we succeeded integrating the treasure of Kent with the help of Ahmed Kurim, and yeah? so that was the big achievement of the previous version of synthesis. So every version had a number of achievements, a number of big stories that I like very much. Yeah? And but one of the things and that I'm most proud of. Is a change that I desired already when I was using cancer repertory, and uh, those who have been using cancer repertory will understand, or maybe other repertories even today. And that is, ah uh, no, I'm going to tell you the anecdote, one of the painful anecdotes. So I had a patient with a pain in the heart, and uh, he was coming to me and I was trying to find a remedy, and I gave him a remedy because of the symptoms, etc. And he went, and he was not okay. It it didn't succeed helping me. It was really not okay. Okay? I'm not going to say more. (laughs) But later on, suddenly I found in the repertory the modality he had been mentioning. He had told me that he had a pain in the heart when he was drinking. And of course, I looked, chest pain, heart drinking. It didn't exist and even it was a clear modality, it wasn't helpful because the information wasn't available in the repertory, okay? So, where did I find it later on? I must check it, but I believe it is under stitching. It was chest, pain, heart, stitching, drinking, okay? So, the drinking was dependent upon the level of stitching. And the homeopaths who knew to use Kent's repertory, they were aware of this and so we used to have all these little papers. And I will take the example of the pain at the heart drinking. And they would write down drinking. And under stitching, there is the remedy China. And under sore there is the remedy Perenis, et cetera, et cetera. And we have these little papers all over the repertory, rectum pain night. It is five remedies. But if you look at rectum pain, nights, rectum pain stitching night, there's two more remedies. And we had all these little papers completing the rubrics with remedies that existed but they were just not easily accessible because of the structure, because descriptions of pain were always at level three in Kent. And I said, if we could change this, if we could change this. And of course, it took a long time also to have the resources and the time to do it. But eventually, we decided to do it with version nine. Between nine zero and nine one, we changed the descriptions of pain to the last level of the symptom. So, the symptom became, I would say, rectum, pain, night, stitching, instead of, stitching at the end, instead of rectum, pain, stitching, night. Which means that all the remedies with, oh look, you may want to show the rubric, rectum, pain, night, to give an example. Eh? That all the rubrics that have the modality of a nightly pain in the rectum are together, and all the remedies as well. Eh? So, rectum, pain, night. And so I think in this case, it goes from 5 to 12 or so, more or less. Rectum pain. Oh, yeah. Of course, now with uh, Adonis, we have even more additions. Can you go to the Kent view? Okay. Rectum pain night. And you see there is only three remedies. Do you see it? Pulsatilla, moscus, and oxalic acid. If you go a little down at burning, you see there are nine remedies under night and cutting there is a sepia which is even there yet so if you move descriptions of pain in the other way then suddenly your rubric with cut rectum pain night becomes much bigger and I remember I explained this change as I'm every time when we make changes to synthesis I one or another congress I explain what we did and I did it in Kiel in England and there was a lecture at uh, of some Congress in Kiel, and Franz Vermeulen was also there. And when I explained this in the lecture, there was no much reaction. I think maybe people didn't understand the consequence of this change, which for me was quite dramatic. And Franz F. Merlin came to me and he said, What you have changed to the repertory is very important. He got it. That's one of the changes that uh, you see the software is there now. You see, with that? You see that's it? As the outer, it means it comes from a sub-rubric up there at the main rubric Look near the 36 sets. So this means, in fact, what does this change mean? It means that we believe that the modality is more important than the description of pain. And when the patients say, sometimes they say, yeah, it's burning in my rectum, it's aching, it's stitching. What is it? What is it you want to know exactly? Is it stitching or burning? No, says the patient. It's a bit mixed. It's all of them. So we know, homeopaths with experience, they know description of pain is very often not the decisive factor. But if the patient say, I have my pain in the rectum mostly at night or only at night, the time modality, this is critical. This is more important. So it is very interesting to have all the remedies with the same modality, whether they're stitching, burning, sore, etc. together. And so this is one achievement. That we made into synthesis and that, uh, yeah, I'm, if you say, are you proud? Yeah, I believe this is a, a big achievement.
2: And I'd add, I completely agree with you because, sure, I think we all like the idea of new features and new things, but in reality, you just want
3: to make a homeopath's life easier and better which is, I think, at the heart of your work. Exactly. If I would have had that version of synthesis, N9-1, with the patient with my heart, I would immediately have seen that China is there and so on.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. and Yeah, just makes your work easier.
3: But there was a lot of work at the
2: beginning. How big was the team that was working with you?
3: Again, we must make a distinction between the glory days of homeopathy and the last 20, 25 years. But in the glory days of homeopathy, we were also... We were the first program that encoded, I believe it was Allen. I think it was Allen was the first Materia Medica we had fully encoded as a database. And then we did Herring and Clark and Hahnemann and more and more. But there was such a demand to have Materia Medica also searchable and available in the software that we had different teams In Canada, in Romania, in the Philippines, and then we had all the teams working on the synthesis, people working on the catalogs, etc. And I know one time we counted the number of collaborators and there was like 120 people that were working for the totality of all the data, only on the data. And like we had five or six programmers and then 120 people, not full-time all of them, no, some of them full-time but 100 people contributing. And now that number, of course, again, has diminished a lot. Economy has changed, homeopathy has changed, priorities have changed. But yeah, there was a time there were 120 people worldwide in the team. And basically, I had seven or eight people here in my own office in Belgium. And all they were doing was coordinating the jobs of 10 or 15 people. So we had a hierarchical structure to reach the content, of our database on all levels. One of
2: the other many reasons why you haven't slept in 30 years, on and off. So how has that changed? We know that the glory days were a little earlier. And then even I get asked sometimes why we didn't release something for so long. Obviously, Adonis has come out. We know it has taken years, why? Yeah, the
3: leap between Synthesis Treasure Edition 2009 and Synthesis today, let's say, released for us, its content was finished in November, but let's say 2021 is 12 years. It's correct. But that is due to a, a whole number of factors. It's also due to the fact that we changed from radar to radar opus, which basically meant we had to reprogram, or we chose to reprogram everything from scratch again. And because in computer land, in computer country, Things change so rapidly, you need to reprogram everything from scratch every now and then. And so we had the first thing, which John Fischfeld, in the early 80s. Then in 95, we restarted from scratch because Windows came up as an operating system. And it was like a big change. We had to restart from scratch. We did it a third time in 2009 to start from scratch, third time, because a number of reasons. The use of internet, the integration of cloud, et cetera, et cetera, were all technologies that didn't exist in the 95. And so we have to we had to restart one more time. Eh? And so this is one explanation because the program had become so, yeah, one of our programmers, Eric, eh, once said to us, do you know that the code of Radar Opus is more lines than the code of Microsoft Word? And so just to give you an idea of the size of the program, Okay. And then the other reason that it took longer is that some of you may have heard we had a little hurdle eh, or a very big hurdle. We had a conflict in our company in Archibel at the time with the programmers. You want me to say something about it, or of course you can. Yeah. I think so many people don't know, and it's right for people to yeah. know. It was a challenge to create Rader Opus. And As many times, the marketing people, they say, it's coming tomorrow, it's coming tomorrow. And the programming people say, maybe not yet ready, maybe not yet ready. And we get into that friction. And the programmers of Ashbel at the time, they got quite frustrated because we had some dealers, I will not mention name or persons, that were very pushy and very demanding and very critical of things not moving faster. And... In hindsight, they slowly moved away from us. And and yeah, then in fact, Pascal was the main programmer at the time. He said, I don't work for you anymore. I found another job in Brussels, which was a bit strange because he lived in Liège. We were working in Amur and he found a job in Brussels. Okay. He had to drive 150 kilometers every day. But then we found out that the real job he had found was creating a clone of Radar Opus and that he had given us the program Radar Opus, the famous version 134, with a lot of problems, with a virtual box integrated. It was really a very big mistake. And we were the program didn't even start at times because of virtual box problems, etc. So we were having this program that was not working, And Pascal, who was uh, going off with another programmer to make a competitive product. So, this was, must say, a very big disappointment and a very big hurdle. And on one hand, we were saved by two instances. One instance was Lorenzo Vandoni, an Italian programmer, friend of Carlo, Carlo, who was part of the core team, who really saved us and, in one year, recreated Trader Opus to be efficient and so on. So as of version 141 or so, program didn't crash anymore and it became evolving in a normal way again. But we lost a lot of users and a lot of confidence for stories that are hard to tell, of course. eh? And then the second thing is that we won a court case and that we were able to benefit from a special regulation in the Belgian law where our debts were, how you say it, wavered Mm-hmm. Is this the word? And so we could start over and uh, with Radar, with Zeus, the new company, etc. But all this has happened while we were in between stopping to develop radar and not yet far enough to work with Radar Opus. So if you say about not sleeping, Marco, it will have been in these years eh? because this was like the dream foundering. Eh? But we got through it. And in addition, I must say, and I don't know if some people from China or Hong Kong was there, we also met Aaron, a guy from Hong Kong, very wealthy guy, very visionary guy, in love with homeopathy, just speaking to us. And we met and in a certain time, he said, you're having some difficulties still, you want some help. And he heavily invested and helped us to grow even faster. And so we are out of the whole process of difficulties now. And with the help of Aron To, T-O is his last name. And if not now, I hope sometime later, he will hear my thank you to him. But we are now again in a very good position. And I believe with Adonis that now the work of 12 years has been released, that if you hear maybe in my next lecture... What we have done, what we have changed, the amount of work that has become available now after these 12 years, we are again, I believe, at the forefront of homeopathic software and ready to help you in practice in a real, yeah, in a way that makes a difference. But there has been, yeah, some let's say five years in between, more like a nightmare. Quite a roller coaster. Wow. Yeah. yeah. If I
2: can add Fred, I'd say. Since I've been working with you guys, which is now about eight years, the one thing I have noticed in general is that homeopathy is surrected by kind people, by people who want to help other people, just as homeopaths do. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people who believed in homeopathy, who believed in the community, who believed in, you know, this. So it's great. It's great to see
3: yeah, I have to say one thing about this. Eh? We were having difficulties also with Dale Emerson at the time, who was leaving us and not believing in the project so strongly anymore, etc. And everything was on the shoulders of Carlo and me, Carlo Rezzani from Italy. And someday Carlos told me, he said, with Dale it isn't working. What we really need is a young guy like Manuel, my son, eh? A guy 35, 40 years old, young guy with energy who believes in homeopathy and who can do the management of the company. And then around the time, we were trying to find investors to help us get out of the black hole. And we were speaking to CEMO, which is an Italian pharmaceutical company. And they said, oh, we look into it. We look into it. And then, OK, we ring again. We speak. That, ah, we really, really want to look into it. We'll send you a guy to investigate your company and have conversation with all of you. And so they send a guy from Italy to investigate the company. And this guy comes and speaks to all of us, looks at the accounting, looks at the sales, etc. And whether the company is valid, etc. And that guy was Marco Spiezia. I
1: remember. He was
3: having another job at the time. He was teaching at the university in Sorrento. And we said, this guy, Carlo, and I said, this guy is, is maybe an, an interesting guy for us. Because by the time we knew, he, he, I still remember him. He says, I am born in Italy uh, with a guitar in the left hand, as you can see from the background, a the pizza in the right hand, and raised by homeopathy. Because his father was a homeopath. And he was a marketing guy. He knew everything about marketing on yeah? a professional level. And so we approached him after he went to, back to uh, Italy and Shemun. We approached him whether he would be interested to lead the company on a commercial level. And as you can see, he did. And I must say, uh, Marco's uh, input has also been critical to get into a much better position and to get the lead again on homeopathic software. I must say, congratulations and grazie mille, Marco. For still being alive. Thank you. much. <laughs>
2: And thank you to Luke here. It's been an amazing addition, Tim. If I can say that there's so many people we need to thank. And uh, yeah, I can say I obviously came from a business background, but what is lovely to see, at least in our company, is that everyone has passion. People don't look at their watch and say, it's 9 a.m. or 5 p.m. We are all such hardworking people and we believe in what we do. And if this company did not have people who believe in what they do, it wouldn't exist. Maybe your they wouldn't exist.
3: Yeah, and I see just a message popping up from Dominic Maziello. Hi, Dominic. Eh? We know each other. And he says, uh, I am one of the first three buyers in the United States. Eh? so we still have those people with us that uh, have paved the way because they must have made a major investment as I did in those days. Eh? just computers were like, you bought a computer or a house. Yeah, you had to reflect eh?
2: And uh, It was like the equivalent of maybe 20,000 euros dollars, wasn't it? It was like
3: expensive. At the time, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, 25,000 euros that I paid at the time. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. So there you go. Things have changed. And um, now we're asking to pay, I think it's 80 or 90 euros for an update of Adonis. Even less. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, I hope a few people will take it. (laughs) We're trying hard. We're trying hard. And we
2: hope it will be as useful as the other versions have been. Talking of which, by the way, this is also a question which I get asked, and I don't know how to answer completely. For someone who is not a super scientific person and top level, just has Synthesis 2009,
3: they've seen the update in Three, four words, why would it be useful for this person to update? In three, four words is difficult because just this morning I gave a one-hour webinar explaining the changes we made, but maybe figures are the easiest in this case. And an operation is to add a remedy or to correct a symptom or is an operation. It's something you do to the database, to the Synthesis Treasure Edition database. The difference between Synthesis 2009 and Synthesis ADONIS, is 500,000 operations yeah, done by the whole team worldwide, yeah, 500,000. And uh, if you say percentage-wise, the information has increased with about 25%. And if you speak remedy-wise, in the old synthesis, treasure edition, we had documentation of 2,700 remedies. Now we, we are above, oh. Look can you look up the precise figures because I'm going to make a mistake. Anyway, we have about 850 remedies more documented in ADONIS than in the older books. And that's due to two main points. The one is that we have focused in those 12 years a lot on adding proof. Uh, 230 of those provings are contemporary. Many of them follow the classical procedure and offer very valid information. And the second big chunk of information that we have added is clinical verification from the clinic. And for that case, for that section, we have got the help from Farooq Massa from India, thousands of additions from Massimo Manchalavori from Italy, thousands of additions, and also from Philippe de Grote, a homeopath from Belgium. And all together, they are representing 50,000 additions. Eh? And so, yeah, there is a lot on the level of provings and clinical information that has been increasing. And before Luke shows the screen, I'm going to just add one more thing. That is a big change in ADONIS. ADONIS is the first repertory where families are integrated in the rubrics as remedies. I could speak a long time to explain this, but it basically means that when you repertorize a case, the patient tells you, I'm jealous. I lack salts, I have pain in my stomach after eating, etc. You just repertorize, take the symptoms, as always. You may see some family pop-up in your analysis. And then you may consider, in one way or another, to use this family or analyze when it's when it's a longhinacea, you may look for remedies that are this, acardiacea, is an acardium in the analysis, etc. Anyway, I can explain this and probably I should, for the next, uh, next webinar, I should explain the ideas we have, how you can use family information. But it has been integrated for sure. It is one of the items that we're dreaming about for a long time, that family information can be used in the repertory as well because all of you will be aware that so far the repertory was remedies, symptoms, remedies, full stop, okay. Now since a long time in the community there is family thinking, let's say family thinking about the case eh? uh, sometimes on a very rough level, is it a plant an animal or a mineral? But sometimes also on a more precise, eh? this looks like, uh, like composite. this looks like whatever family or lobelacea, etc. and this is not available in an easy way in a repertory. And we made a change there in ADONIS. And so it becomes, again, more easy and more practical when you want to use this approach with your patients. So, Luke, can you show that you have the figures of the remedies in the previous and the last version? Can you tell us? So in version 9.0, we have 2,310 remedies described and a little more in one, a little more in 2009. And then suddenly with ADONIS, we jump from 2,375 BUPs to 3,233. So synthesis is the first repertory to cover more than 3,000 remedies. And this leaves the competition quite pale ahead. A lot of work has gone into that. So... Mm. yeah thanks a lot, Fred.
2: So we are we've got about five minutes left, very bit short, so thank you very much, Fred, for the explanation. There were a few questions. Should we go through those, Luke, just to see make sure that everyone's
1: happy? yeah, sure. thank you, Frederick. That was thank you very much yeah also yeah, nice to hear like your personal journey as well, yeah. So what were the questions? I think him's been busy answering some of those questions in the chat.
2: Yeah, there was one question by Jennifer Chappell, which was the first one, but I'm going to read it out. The initial reps by Kent Clark, Boga, Berica are awesome. However, some of the initial remedies have been more proven now. So are they updating Red
3: Rippers to show the updates, Candida varies. and then she makes some examples. Yes, of course. The additions are not only about new or unknown remedies, but also about the known remedies. Although, I must say, our goal is not to expand sulfur beyond the stars. We have, I think, sixteen or 17,000 symptoms of sulfur in synthesis for the moment. If you don't find sulfur for your patients with those 16,000 symptoms, I think you can forget it. Eh? <laughs> the goal is not to duplicate that number. Um, this is one of my ideas, is that the ideal description in the repertory, I say, of a remedy is when it holds between 500 and 2,000 symptoms. And this is not a little, not too much. is very manageable. And in fact, the proving coordinators who work with us, we ask them, to submit their proving with like between four to eight hundred symptoms, maybe up to one thousand. Eh? Kate Birch, the famous proving, the group proving of COVID-19, and eh? it was a thousand-something symptoms. And that's a nice start. This, then you can study the remedy from the repertory extraction and know it, and you will find it when you have the symptoms that are interesting. Yeah, I think Jennifer just got it. Great.
2: Then there was one which I just translated because it was in a different language. A gentleman was asking when you got the family information, whether it was from Skolten, Yakir, Sankaran, uh, and whether uh, he can select the sources like he used to be able to do in radar.
3: Yeah, so the sources are all of them. Eh? And they have been indicated in our program. When there is a remedy, you will always see the one or more authors that author this remedy. And for the family, the same. You will see the author that authorizes this remedy. And yeah, so it's transparent. It's uh, so okay. great. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Then uh, there was a gentleman who also mentioned he, he had
2: radar 10.5, but he was a bit uncertain of whether to move to radar opus because radar 10.5 was very fast. And he thought it was probably faster than radar opus. So he was now looking at Adonis and thinking, okay, maybe I might change into opus now. Can we say anything with regards to the speed? I have a couple yes. of comments, but
3: you can go start. Yes. Even opening the program is slower in Radaropus. Opus. And I will tell you why. Because the old concept was that it was a repertory program, a Materia Medica program, and a patient-fire program. Separate. So you had to open Radaropus, Opus, then you open your Encyclopedia Homeopathica. You may remember the name, Encyclopedia Homeopathica, and you open your wind chip. With Radar Opus, one of the visions we had in 2009, when we recreated it, is we're gonna make one program that manages everything. So when you open Radar Opus and you say, I have to wait longer than Radar, that's not a fair comparison. You would need to compare opening Radar and Encyclopedia and Winship to opening Radar Opus. You understand? Then the second change is that these were three databases that were separate totally separate and they were running separate. So if you're running synthesis in RADAR, you're running only synthesis in a repertory program. While if you're running now synthesis in RADAR Opus, you're running synthesis in a much bigger database. And this is, shall I say, there's a little delay, there's a little slower. That's true. If you would compare on the same computer, it's a little slower. This is the disadvantage. But what is the big advantage that is that we are now able to integrate all this data and we've only started to do it in a much more thorough way and linking is one of the divisions we have is linking the information because this is confirming, this is validating, this is giving value, to relevance to the information of the patient file or the material medical or the repertory, et cetera. So radar ten point five was very successful. We were, let's say, the leading software easily eh, at the time. And Europa's now has a new vision that is eh, we also integrate with the internet, etc. And so yeah, it's different. and some features are a little slower, but then also please consider the advantages of the new structure we have in this new database. Yeah, and if I can add to that, Frederick, the since the first day I set
2: foot into the organization was just, just how important it is for everyone to consider the quality and the source of information, which for me, if you're a serious homeopath, that should be a very important point. We don't just take medical repertory and just throw them into the program. We try to be as thorough as possible on what we do, which takes time, maybe a little slower, but in the end, it should be a guarantee for homeopaths because the information you get has more You know reliability and
3: quality. Yeah, Yeah, and then so many things changed eh, because, for example, the remedy catalogue in the times of radar was just like two thousand five hundred remedies. Now we are at eight thousand, etc. So many things have changed. You must consider all this, eh? Yeah, totally. Luke wants to say something or show something, I believe.
1: Yeah, I was just showing an example of how the linking of the remedies work from synthesis to materia medica. So here you see an underlined reference to a journal published by LMHI. So it's a legal journal from the 90s. It's approving of banana. And if you click here on the screen, which opens, and you have the document in your program, you'll be taken to the Materia Medica section, and you can see the links that have been made. So it's very transparent, as well as it shows you the source language used in the proving. And it also is transparent. So if there are mistakes that have been made, they can be corrected and commented upon. By anybody using the program so this is a really big really big change and it's the way repertories should be yeah. yeah
3: correct and it's also another example of the speed issue versus more functionality because in the old days the link between materia medica and repertory was also existing but one direction in one direction from materia medica to repertory now it is bidirectional you can go from synthesis to the Materia Medica and from Materia Medica to synthesis. And of course, yeah, then to create this link just takes a little more time. But you have the advantage of more functionality. This is a very good example, I believe, why you shouldn't be fixed on speed only and consider function as well.
1: Considering it used to take 40 minutes to do a rapidization as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I can't imagine that. But here, oh. this is a, another example where you see many underlines. So here, molybdenum, metallicum, VML10 is Vermeulen's synoptic reference. I click here, I go to the symptom in the Vermeulen Materia Medica, and there's the text. And if you have this book, you can check which, what G refers to if you scroll back up a little way. Okay, thank you, guys. I'm
2: just going to quickly try to answer the last couple of questions, and then we'll wrap up. Someone wanted to know whether we will get a printed version of Adonis. I, for the moment, we're not planning it, and the reason is that it's massive. It will be so big to print that you will probably need people to help to carry it. This That doesn't mean no, but no point promising something that we don't know quite yet. That being said, the world is going towards a more digital era, so... We'll see, but not for the moment. Someone else was asking, what was the best version to get? If you mean of the program, depends what kind of roadmap path you are and how much experience you have. If you mean Adonis, if you don't have synthesis repertory, Adonis is everything that you need because Adonis is the update of 2009, but it includes everything done in the past, plus fixes, improvements, etc. So all you need is Adonis. If you have 2009, you update. If you don't have anything, you just get one. And for the record, if you are a RadarOpus customer and you already have Synthesis 2009, if you update to Adonis, you will have two in your menu. So you keep what you had and on top, you get what's new. So you'll have two repertories to play with. One quick one, a lady mentioned that at the beginning she had Radar, then she tried RadarOpus about 10 years ago and it was a nightmare. She gave up at the time. Now she's considering it again. Should she use an Apple? Red Robots works perfectly well with Apple and Windows. Frederick uses Windows. Me and Luke use Apple. And I think Luke also uses Windows. So it works in both. And her name is Melinda. Yeah, Melinda, we know it was a nightmare. And now you know the story. You know why we had issues with the programmers. Someone saved us. We had to start from scratch. So you had an experience that wouldn't be normal. And we're sorry about that. Luckily, it's changed. And I think someone asks also if they're going to get something working on Linux. I don't know for now, but generally we just try to stick with what we have. So we know it works on Apple, we know it works on Windows, and that's that. A few people saying they love what they see on Adonis and they're very happy. So, Frederick, big thumbs up onto you. And someone was asking also, with the big attacks of big pharma, how will accessibility to these remedies be impacted I'll quickly answer the question that I have no idea. One thing that though, that I would say is what I have seen in the in the community in general is that rather than attack I think institutions are pushing for remedies to be classified in the correct manner. So if the companies that produce the products are able to catch up with that then the remedies will remain available. But laws change drastically from one country to another so not something that we can really say. And also, yeah, the same person asks quality assurance on the remedies, nothing that I can answer because we provide a software, we don't provide remedies. So you should speak to the remedy provider, sort of company that produces those, we look after the software and the ability for you to be able to search through material medical repertories and data in the most qualitative way. That I think is it. I don't know if anybody else wants to add anything. Hmm. I mean, don't think there's yeah any other questions. So I would just like to really thank everyone for coming in today. Thank you, Freddie, for sharing such a big
3: part of your life, really, because it has been a big yeah. part of your life in yeah. the last three years. And I, I must say, I'm, I'm surprised to see so many of the old guys and girls down there. I see Menachem Oberbaum from Israel. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric Van Wunzel is there. And anyway... I- I just would need to scroll through the list but uh, very glad you're all still there and even if we're not living the the glory days of homeopathy anymore I think trying to make our tools more efficient on and on is going to help get it out of the black hole and yeah we are here to stay just, just
2: homeopathy okay thank you very much guys still, and uh, still soon.
1: prospering in uh, in India so yes indeed
3: Oh, yeah. some countries are exception yeah, yeah. okay everybody. Thanks, everybody. bye bye everyone speak soon bye everybody